Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, I'm excited to preach this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. Can't wait. Uh, you know, want to give a quick shout out. I heard we had an amazing women's conference that happened Friday and Saturday. Uh, I was not there, uh, but I heard it was amazing. Uh, so praise God for everything that he did. Uh, hey, I also just want to take a short moment here to honor two people because I don't get to do this very often. And that is Micah Scharsberg. He leads our staff and Jamie Miller, who leads our church. Can we just give them a hand? And, you know, I just feel like it's such a privilege to uh, get to be at a place like Antioch, Fort Worth, where we are surrounded by such incredible, incredible leaders. And as a college pastor, I feel like I just have the best job in the world. I mean, I get to hang out with college students all the time. I was at the TCU Baylor basketball game yesterday. Uh, TCU is turning the corner uh, when it comes to basketball. It's fun. Uh, I sat at the top uh, because I have a little bit of a history with Baylor. And so I just kind of said, I just soaked it in. I said, Lord, thank you. I love both of these teams. These teams are great. All right, well, we are going to be continuing our series called Late Down and Let It Go. And Jamie kicked off our series with an amazing message last week talking about what it means to lay down and let go of false, I, oh, excuse me, no, he didn't. He talked about unforgiveness, laying down and letting go of unforgiveness. But I am going to be talking about laying down and letting go of false identities in order for us to receive freedom. So you can write that down somewhere false identities in order to receive freedom. And I want to start out by saying, you know, that God is a restorer and that God is so good at restoring things that he fixes them even better than they were before. And if you are a bowler, you know that there is an initial target in the lane and then there's an ultimate target, which is the pins. And if you are a good bowler, you know that if you hit the initial target, then you're going to be successful. When you were born again into Jesus Christ, that was the initial target, but that's not the ultimate target. Haggai 2.9 says this, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So the application here is concerning Solomon's temple. And the temple that was built after this prophecy was given was twice the size as the former temple. And when we lay things down and we let them go, God doesn't want us to experience partial restoration, but a fullness of freedom. So I thought this morning that I would share with you my most embarrassing story. Is that okay? All right. Well, when I was 16 years old, I got a silver shining 2007 Pontiac G6. And man, when I got this car, I was like, I can rule the world. I mean, I literally can rule the world in this car. This is amazing. And I would go around all North Dallas and uh, pick up my friends. And I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I have all the freedom that I could ever want. And then one afternoon, uh, I was coming home from school. And uh, typically what I would do when I would pull into my house is I would come up to my garage uh, and stop about two feet in front of it, and then I would get out, 
press some buttons on the keypad and the garage door would open. Well, this time when I pulled up to my garage, instead of stopping two feet in front and pressing the brake, I press the pedal. And I went straight through the garage door. And by the time I had the chance to recover, I was like, oh, I'm such an idiot. That's the first thought that came to my mind. And this is where if you're a girl, it's a good thing for you. Because nine other girls will probably come around you and be like, oh, it's okay. You know, tell me what happened. Let's go to the bathroom and talk about it. (laughs) But if you're a guy... You haven't so much opened your mouth and they're already talking trash about you, all right? You know what that's like. But I remember this moment thinking to myself, I'm going to have to go inside, face my parents, and tell them I ran through the garage door. And then I had this thought, how am I going to be able to make this up to my parents? And I started thinking, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll pay for it. I, I'm sorry, because that's just how you feel in those moments. Just give me a shot, and I'll fix it. But I'll never forget me going inside and talking with my parents and them looking at me and saying, Ben, it's okay. You're forgiven. You're not going to pay for this. We are going to fix it. But you're never allowed to leave the house without a garage door opener again. But I'll never forget them looking at me and saying, Ben, you're off the hook. You're free. Let it go. But when you run into your garage door, it's hard to let it go. Number one, your friends don't let it go. And number two, you don't let it go. Here's a question. Why is it so hard for humans to receive a free gift? With hands on our shoulders saying, it's okay, let it go. Why is it so hard? The reason is because of the laws of nature. Nature tells us that if I do something like destroy a garage door, and it was destroyed, then there is something that I deserve. I did this, so I deserve this. And so when someone comes along and flips that script upside down, changing the laws of nature, it feels a little weird. You're like, wait, wait, wait. I don't have to do something? There's a great example of this in Matthew chapter 8 that we're going to read from. And I have another book of the Bible that we're going to look at as well, but I'm not going to tell you what that one is yet. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 8, verses 1 and 2. And the context of this passage is that Jesus has just preached a really good sermon, one of his most famous, the Sermon on the Mount. And beginning in verse 1, here's what Matthew 8 says. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I have one request for you. For the rest of our time together, if I read a verse that says the word clean or unclean, then I want you to say it on contact with me. All right? So we're going to practice here. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So first of all, what I want you to notice is that there's a man that's called a leper. Look back down at your Bible. What is his name? You don't know. We don't know because he's known by his condition. You might say that he's known by his garage door destroying. Leprosy was a disease that would ravage the body. And places would would bubble up. It was a horrible sickness. 
And this man would have been isolated and confined to outside of the city limits because of his condition. But notice what the leper says. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, will you make me clean? Why doesn't he say, Jesus, will you make me better? Or Jesus, will you heal me? Like lots of times we say today. I want to provide a little more context for you. So Jesus was a Jew. And in this passage, everybody that was watching would have known the Jewish history of having a code of conduct. And the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all paint a picture for us of 600 different laws that you had to follow. And these laws could be summed up by saying, stay away from certain things or you too will become unclean. And if you get unclean, there is a long process that you have to go through in order to get clean. So these words were very familiar to the leper and everyone else who was watching. So now we're going to turn to the second book, and it's the book of Leviticus. And I knew that if I had said we were reading from Leviticus, you would have walked out the door and been like, I don't want to read from Leviticus. But we're going to do it this morning. Leviticus 13.8 says this. The priest is to examine that person. And if the rash is spread in the skin, he shall pronounce them. It is a defiling skin disease. So one more verse for you that gives us more context about what this was like. Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out. As long as they have the disease, they remain. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So basically, the, the priest would examine you, and the priest would act like a doctor. And if the priest determined that you were unclean, then you had to walk around and shout, unclean, unclean. I was clean, but I touched something unclean, and so now I've become unclean. And you would have to live outside the camp. Can you imagine the brokenness that you would feel if the priest walked up to you and said, you're unclean, because your destiny is now isolation, shame, and banishment. Now, if you're going anywhere, you're not going to hold up your hand and announce yourself by your name, your gifts, who your family is, or who you want to be, but you're going to walk around and you're going to announce yourself by, hello, my name is unclean. And you're going to watch as the waters part because you are known by your condition. So now that you know that, I have two questions that I want to ask you. The first one is, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And I would venture to say that most of us actually probably can. Because while we probably haven't dealt with leprosy, we know what it's like to have that sinful thing. To have that thing that we just can't seem to get rid of, that nags us, that when we walk into a room, makes us feel like everybody else has it together but me. Like the clean camp is over here, but I am over here. And we all have these labels that we carry around, these false identities that sometimes we allow to define us. And maybe for you, it's not the label of unclean, but it's related to your body or the job that you have, or the car that you drive, or what your friends think about you, or your knowledge, or your giftedness, or the church denomination that you're a part of. I think another way these false identities get manifested in our lives is by living in what I call, like to call the land of Ur, 
If only I were smarter, if only I were funnier, prettier, skinnier, then maybe I could walk in the fullness that Jesus has for me. I remember last semester, I went on a personal retreat, and while I was on this retreat, I took one evening just to pray and and seek the Lord. And I remember during worship, while I was worshiping, God just so gently speaking to me and saying, Ben, you have made ministry so much about what you're doing for me that you've forgotten what it means to just be with me. Like you've forgotten what it means just to enjoy my presence and to be a son. Because that's really where I want you to live from. This morning, maybe you have a label that you have put on yourself. For me, it was that label of achievement that I had to achieve things for God in order for him to approve of me. So I have a second question for you. Can you imagine something completely different? Can you imagine something totally different? Let's look back at our story in Matthew 8. So again, Jesus has finished his sermon and the crowds are like, we have to get away from this leper because remember, if you touch something that is unclean, you too will become unclean. And then you have Jesus and you have the leper and what's standing between Jesus and the leper is Leviticus and everybody knows it and everybody is watching thinking, what is Jesus going to do? And what we're about to watch Jesus do is flip the laws of nature on their head. Matthew 8, 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. (sighs) Jesus steps right into the brokenness and the pain of this man. When was the last time that he was touched? Maybe it was decades before someone had even come near to him. When I was in high school, I struggled a lot with anxiety. And I can't really tell you uh, what the source of that was or why that happened. I just remember that multiple nights in a row, I would go to bed anxious. And it would keep me up one, two, three hours into the night. Until my sophomore year in college, I went on our spring break mission trip, which at that time uh, was to Edinburgh, Texas. And during worship one morning, somebody got up on stage and said, I feel like I have a word that there's somebody here who has gone to bed anxious every night and God wants to set you free. Put my hand up. I said, I think that's me. And I went up to the front and the guy just began to pray for me. And he said, God, would you bring your peace to Ben? God, would you surround Ben's mind with the peace of God that transcends all understanding? And I didn't feel anything in that moment. But that night when I went to bed, it was the first night in six years that I didn't go to bed anxious. And for the next eight years until this moment, I've never had an anxious night again. It was a moment for me where Jesus stepped into my brokenness and he touched me and he said, you are clean. You're healed. In a moment, Jesus changes the laws of nature in our lives. And he says, no, no, no. What I do is I flip this formula around. You were unclean, but in me, you can be clean. I'm the clean one and you touch me and you get clean. Jesus walks in and he says, I want to touch you. I want to make you clean. But what happens next in our passage really blows my mind. 
Check out Matthew 8, 4. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't go tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So why is it that Jesus says this? Like, Jesus, this isn't a great marketing strategy for your ministry to tell the person you just healed to not go tell anybody. But instead, he says, go and tell the priest. Why is that significant? Well, look back with me at Leviticus 13, 8, where it tells what the priest's role is. The priest is to examine that person. And if the rash is spread into the skin, he shall pronounce them, it is a defiling skin disease. Guys, the reason that Jesus told the leper to go back to the priest is because he wanted the leper to return to the very one who had looked at him and said, you're unclean. Now the very one who had put that label on him would look back and now through Jesus be able to say that you are now clean. And by Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, There would be those after him like you and me who would come with our false identities and our false labels and be able to receive that five-letter word, C-L-E-A-N, clean. And Jesus would come and he'd say, I didn't come come to mess up the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to be a sacrifice to set you free. That's the nature of Jesus. You know, God didn't save you to frustrate you. He saved you so that you could experience fullness and breakthrough. And my greatest joy as a college pastor is when I get to see these false labels that we carry get ripped off of college students as they walk in freedom. It takes my inspiration to catalytic levels. And in Jesus, our inheritance shifts. We're clean forever. Jesus does this time and time again. He takes broken people and he says, I want to restore you. Addicted people and says, I want to set you free. People have been lied to and says, I'm going to speak truth to you. Fearful people and says, I have life for you. Jesus is on a clean mission for unclean people. And when you read this story, is there anything about it that makes you think to yourself, Jesus just wanted this leper to experience a season of freedom. Like he just wanted him to experience a month of freedom. Or does it sound like to you that your Messiah is making a statement, I want you clean and I want you free? So how does Jesus do that? How does he do that in our world? Does he just wave a magic wand and then all of a sudden it just happens? How do we go from being unclean to clean? Well, we find our answer in Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Just like the leper had to go outside the camp, Jesus goes outside the camp on our behalf. He goes out there where we belong and dies on a cross And says, where you made something unclean, I'm going to absorb it out here for you so that you now can go back inside the camp. He becomes our high priest. But in order to really truly walk in freedom from these false identities, I believe, and I want to submit to you this morning, one thing, and it's this. Slow down. Slow down. 
If you want to lay it down and let it go, slow down. Getting set free from false identities begins by recognizing that who you are is way more important than what you do. Your purpose in life is not determined by your occupation or your job title. Your purpose in life is determined by the revelation of who you are in Christ. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of God. And looking through the cross, our lives are no longer determined by a condition or a past or something that we dealt with, but rather who Jesus is. Does your doing for Jesus flow out of your being with Jesus? You know that all three temptations that Satan offered to Jesus had to do with being versus doing. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, bow down and worship me. And I think in the same way in our lives, the enemy tries to tempt us with this lie that we have to have our doing inform our being and not the other way around. So I want you to repeat this phrase after me. What I do matters. Who I am matters much more. All right, now say it a little more with gusto. What I do matters. Who I am matters much more. Your personal transformation in the presence of God will determine the transformation of the people around you. Whenever we find ourselves wanting the ministry impact of Jesus while simultaneously resisting spending time with Jesus, we're not setting ourselves up for victory. And just because God has access to everything that is true about us does not mean that he has access to us. Slowing down to receive our true identity in Christ is an act of surrender. And when it comes to surrender, the margin that you create determines the course that you take. So some of my leaders know this, but we've been going through a book recently called Emotionally Healthy Leadership. And it's by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And uh, Pete is a master when it comes to uh, this doing versus being concept. And I want to encourage you, if you need uh, a breakthrough or you need some uh, help emotionally specifically to, to pick up that resource. But Pete lists a number of different things of what it means for us to walk and really receive our identity and who Jesus is. And I want to give you three practicals from Pete's book. And the first one is silence. Silence. Taking some time to be still before God is one of the number one ways that we can receive our identity in Christ. Seek to be silent in God's presence for 10 minutes a day. If you can't do 10 minutes, then try three or try five. You know, the uh, Latin word in scripture for obedience actually means to listen. So to listen to God is to obey God. And when we create margin for silence, we're creating space in our lives for us to hear the voice of the Father. Second practical for you is scripture meditation. Taking some time to just get big chunks of the word of God inside of you. Getting the truth of who you are in Jesus and for it to come out of you. I personally recently have just been in a season where during my times with God, I'm taking 20 to 30 minutes and just listing all of these scriptures and speaking them out over myself. And it's powerful when we do that. 
want to encourage you to meditate on a passage to help you know Jesus better and know God's thoughts and his heart towards you. Last practical is Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Mm. If you ever find yourself saying that I don't have time for rest, it's probably an indication that you need some rest. And I think a common misconception in our society today is that taking rest is taking time to rest is inherently lazy. Just want to encourage all of us this morning. That is not true. Taking a Sabbath allows us to avoid reducing our identity to human doings by creating space for us to remember first that we're human beings. And the Sabbath reminds us that life is more than work. Life is about God. And if we're willing to take time to trust God with our work, I think it will be easier to entrust God with the outcome of our work. So two questions for you to help you integrate Sabbath into your life. The first one is this. What do you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with joy? It's a great question to ask. Second one, what people, places, and activities do you need to avoid because they deplete you and make it difficult for you to remain in Christ? I want to challenge you this week, whether it's in your family or your life group or a group of friends, to take a little bit of time and to ask these two questions and to open up the door to have a conversation about them. I know they're simple, but I also believe that if you do them, it'll change your life and it'll change your walk with Jesus. And I know that for most of us, taking a 24-hour Sabbath window probably isn't realistic because of families, jobs, different things we have going on. But what does Sabbath look like for you? Maybe it's just setting aside a couple hours one afternoon for you to read a book or, or go for a walk or, in my case, go play golf. Amen. Uh, but all of us are made for the Sabbath. As we wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you that God's not in a hurry and that he wants us to receive our true identity in him. But I recognize that for some of you, you need a moment this morning to realize that what Jesus has done on the cross is enough to make you clean. And as I was praying for our ministry time today, I felt like God was saying that he wanted to step up and walk straight into some of your brokenness and put his hand on you and say, you are clean. So as we go into ministry time, I want to invite our worship team to come forward, our prayer leaders as well. You can go ahead and be standing with me. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to close your eyes with me here. And if you feel comfortable, I want to invite you just to Put your hands out like you're going to receive something. King Jesus, we acknowledge today that what you have done on the cross is more than enough for our freedom. whatever 
that thing is for you that you feel like you just have tried to get rid of it for a while. Like it just seems like it keeps following you. And man, be great just to walk out of here and think, you know, I'm I'm just not going to deal with that anymore. I want you to think whatever that thing is, just think about it. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's a approval of what other people think about you. And right now, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that we would receive a touch from heaven. Father, I thank you that through your son, you reach into our brokenness and you say, I have made you clean. Wherever you're at, I just you can say it in your own heart or you can say it out loud. I just want you to say those simple words, I'm clean. Jesus. Mm. Father, we acknowledge that the penalty that you paid in Jesus, that the the price has been paid for our victory. The price has been paid for our freedom. And I just even right now, I just see this picture of change just falling off of people. God, I thank you that this morning chains are breaking off, Lord. That freedom is here, God. And so, Lord, we speak that all over this room, Lord, that freedom is here. God, that it's a new day. Lord, that the old is gone and the new has come, Lord. And so with expectancy and faith, God, we step into that again this morning. And we thank you, Jesus, that in you, we're free. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just second group of people, if you feel like you just need grace to slow down, I'm just going to pray that right now. God, I pray for all of us here this morning that if there's any place in our hearts where we just need to slow down, to receive our identity in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be grace to do exactly that. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You can open your eyes. Whatever your need is, our prayer team is up here. Please don't leave this place without taking a moment to get prayer for if you have a need this morning. Amen.